How we doing? We good? Good, good. Welcome to part two of this series called Life, Money, Hope. We've been exploring what God has to say about each one of those things. A quick disclaimer so that we can all get on the same page. My uh, hope for this series is that uh, I can give you some encouragement in your life, specifically around the idea of, of your life and your money and, and some ways that you can put your hope in Jesus Christ. But I also want to give you some practical things that you can do, that you can leave this place, you can feel empowered, you can feel like, man, I can actually do this. I can, I can have a, a life, an extraordinary life. I can, I can not have, you know, more months than there is money. I can feel the uh, the, the, the weight of that get actually lifted off of me. And then, and then there's some ways that you can find a hope in Jesus and your future. Last week, we talked about how God can use your ordinary life to do something extraordinary. If you miss it, uh, you can check it out online where it lives forever. Uh, but this morning, I want to speak to you on the subject of tests. I titled this message, The Treasure Test, because I like puns, and that's what I do. And so it's the treasure test. But depending where you're at in life, this word test, it could actually mean something different for each one of you. Like if you're in elementary school, uh, the tests are a little bit different than, than how things happen in life. Testing is all about the number two pencil. It's about filling in a circle, making some weird arrangement with that circle and that test score. It was called the California Achievement Test when I was a kid. Is it still called that, teachers? The CAT test? No, it's not the CAT test anymore. All right, well, that might be where uh, my disdain for cats comes from. Who knows? Uh, But... Uh, you got the snacks and everything, the peanut butter crackers. It was all about getting a good score on the test for financing or I don't know what. But you also had the physical achievement test. Anybody been part of that in elementary school? You had the pull-ups and the sit-up. Am I the only one on this? Okay. Uh, yeah, the physical achievement test, the sit and reach. Leighton came home the other day and was telling me how he had to do the sit and reach and how you know his legs, like when he leaned forward, he was pulling on his legs. I told him, son, you, you should really be able to touch the floor. Like, that's the goal. Uh, You should be able to pull on the bottom of your toes. He says, well, can you do that, Dad? (laughs) Absolutely. I I can't right now. I mean, on these jeans, you know what I'm saying? I can't get to... to, I can touch my knees for you is where I was at on on that particular day. But... uh, uh, we also had to run the mile, which was uh, a disaster. Uh, the, yeah. And then to check the spine, did you, did you have to do this for the testing? They took you to the locker room and they wanted to see if your spine was a question mark or, or like Forrest Gump or whatever that is. I don't even uh, know about that. But then you, you move on from those tests. You get to high school, your tests become a little bit harder. The big test in high school is the driver's ed test. Like, that's the big deal. And, and God help us, because I'm seeing some of y'all who are driving uh, need to take that test maybe one more time. Uh, but... But then you got the ACT test or the SAT test, and, and your whole college career culminates on you taking uh, that test, which I, I told the difference has to do with like science. Uh, one of them doesn't have a science piece to it. My suggestion would be take that test. Uh, if you still have to do it, do that one to get into college, but maybe that's just me. Uh, adults, you've got to take tests as you get older. You've got uh, maybe a job test, like an aptitude test or a personality test. You might have to take a drug test for your job. Uh, the pregnancy 
test for, for the ladies, that would, would apply to you, I guess. Uh, needless to say that. Uh, as you get older, even older, I think they call it geriatric maybe or something like that. Uh, you got to take your cholesterol test. Uh, maybe, maybe your mammogram or your colon test, a, a prostate test, which is just helpful Bible reading tip. Prostate is different than prostrate. So as you get to that word, never mind, that failed miserably. But there's all kinds of tests, is my point. There's physical tests, there's mental tests, there's academic tests. I know when I was in school, I liked the, the uh, fill-in-the-blank or the essay test because I felt like it, I could always argue my way into a right answer. My mom told me I'd make a good lawyer because I can reason my way into or out of about anything, which, which maybe is true. But, but I thought I'd show you some examples of, of test answers that, that actually happen in school. This might help put some things into perspective for you. What ended in 1896? 1895. Absolutely, right? I mean, that has to be be true. uh, You know, name the quadrilaterals. Well, that's Bob right there. We got Sam, Kate with a C, Harry with one R. Tedison, I don't know who that. I know that's a that's a great name. Wherever you wherever you came up, is that really wrong? I mean, he named the quadrilateral. I earn money at home. I don't. I'm a freeloader. <laughs> I would love to meet his parents. Right? I mean, whoever convinced him of that. What's the next one? Explain the phrase free press. When your mom irons trousers for you, like that's in England. I didn't know if that one would go over well uh, in America. Draw a picture of what you'll look like in a hundred years. <laughs> Rest in peace, Warren. Okay, I think I got one more. Tony practices the piano 20 minutes every day. Effect, he's a big nerd. He used to say, big nerd. So, test, answers. Where am I going with all of this? Well, the Bible makes it clear that we have a test here in life that we need to pass, which don't worry, I'm not going to pop quiz you on the test today. We're going to have the rest of our lives to try and pass this test. Uh, Every waking moment of your live long day is going to be a test. But the best news I can give you is that God gives us the answer to this test. It's open book. It's not like the open book in school. There's, there's a very crystal clear answer. There's only one question. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. Go ahead and grab it. We're going to find the answer to this test. You want to find Malachi chapter 3. If you're new to the Bible, that probably sounds intimidating. I promise it's not. If you can find your New Testament, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Malachi is the first book uh, before that. It's the last book in your Old Testament. So uh, if you're using a device, feel free to cheat and click to Malachi chapter 3. That's okay with me. But we're going to read the answer to this one question test that God gives us. In fact, I'll answer the question before we even start reading. So if you're taking notes, you can jot it down this way. My life's test is my tithe. My life's test is my tithe. One point to the message today, and that is my life's test is my tithe. Well, let's look at this in Malachi chapter 3. Pick it up right in verse 10. 
says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I don't know if you've been in an argument before where you're like, hey, you go first. And they're like, no, you go first. And you're like, no, I'll go when, when you go. Or if, or if you went to your boss in your mind, you were thinking that you were going to quit your job. And so you went in to see your boss. And before you could quit, he said, ah, man, sorry, we're going to have to let you go. And you're like, whoa, I, I came in here to quit. And he's like, well, you can't quit because I just fired you. And you're like, no, you can't fire me because I just quit. You can't quit somebody who's fired. Right? You've ever been in an argument like that? Uh, it's essentially what's happening here. God is like, put me to the test. And you're like, wait, I, I thought you were testing me. And he says, I am, but you can test me in your test. To which you would respond, wait, I thought we weren't supposed to test the Lord God. The Bible says that. And he says, well, you're not except when you're testing your test of the test that I'm giving you. Right? Okay. Let me clear this up for you. Here's your one question test. The point of this passage is to ask you, do you trust yourself more than you trust God? Within your finances, do you trust yourself more than you trust God? Now hold on, Pastor. Are you saying that I can't trust God if I'm not tithing? I didn't say that. The Bible said that rather clearly for me, so I didn't have to say that. See, your biggest test in life is the matter of your tithe. It's your treasure test. So let's make sure we're speaking the same language. Let's uh, define this word tithe. It's a Hebrew word. I put it in your notes if you grab those. called Masair, and it literally translates tenth part. As if to imply we should give God the first tenth part of our income. But what you may not know is tithing is actually a very ancient practice. Most people think it started with Moses when God handed down the Ten Commandments and the law and all that. And they said that you needed to tithe. But it actually started way before that. The, the first evidence of tithing is in Genesis 14 when Abraham gives away uh, the first ten part of, of his spoils to a guy named Melchizedek, but it was actually, a, a archaeologists have found that it's actually a very common practice in the ancient world where you would give your spoils, the first 10% uh, in, in war. It was practiced in Athens and Arabia and Rome and Carthage and Egypt and Syria and Babylon and in China. It was kind of like a tax where, where you took something over, you gave away the first tenth. The problem with describing this religious offering in this way is that's how most people view the tithe. It's a God tax. I give God the, the first 10% like I give the government my first FICA 4% or you know whatever it is, except that's not how God intended the tithe to work. In fact, if you really dive into Scripture and you study this word uh, tenth and ten part and uh, the number ten, biblically speaking, it almost always represents testing. Think about it. God sent the, the ten plagues to Egypt. He was testing Pharaoh. He was testing the Egyptians. There's the ten commandments. God was testing His people's faithfulness to see if they would follow 
the law. When Jesus died and He rose from the dead, He spent 40 days with His disciples and, and He was giving them instructions and things like that. And He promised them to send them a helper. If you know the story, He sends the Holy Spirit. And, and then He ascends back into heaven and they're waiting in this upper room and they wait for 10 days until the Holy Spirit falls on them. God was testing them. The same is true for you today. Your tithe is a, t- is a test. It's your treasure test of your faithfulness. Now, often when you have this conversation with people, the primary ejection uh, around this idea of tithe is, Pastor, I can't afford it. Mathematically speaking, I simply can't tithe. My bills to income ratio is skewed in the wrong direction. There's just no margin for for a tithe. People say, if I had more money, then... I could tithe. But listen, you'll never be able to afford to tithe until you do. You're as faithful with one dollar as you are with a million dollars. Jesus teaches this over and over in multiple parables in the Bible. In fact, did you know Jesus taught more about money than He did heaven or hell in in Scripture? Why? Because what Jesus is saying is you're treasure is going to be where your heart is. Your treasure is going to follow your heart. And Jesus knows that, that He's after your heart. He wants to change your life. And so He realizes His chief competition in this life is what you're going to do with your money. See, tithing is a lot like romance. It works on any budget. Y'all remember when you were just dating and, and trying to get creative and all the things that you were going to do together. And like when you went out to eat, one of y'all would like, maybe this is when more when you're married and, and you have no money. And so one of you would order a water and then the other one would order the pop and then you'd share because you get the free refills on the pop. Nobody would drink the water and the, the waiter, I'm sure knew what was going on, but, but you'd, you'd come up with creative things to do and, and figure out ways to make each other cards and, and, and pop up things and scavenger hunts and you'd go hiking and, and kayaking and it would involve, nobody likes kayaking, but you just wanted to be around with the other person and, and uh, just be in their presence because you were so in love. And the same thing is true with God. You, you figure out a way to spend time with God and you'll figure out a way to do what He says because it doesn't matter your income status. More importantly, God says, test me in this. You think you can't do it, but this is a matter of faith. He flat out says, I'll open the windows of heaven for you and pour down such a blessing until there is no more need. That raises a very important question. It's the question of need because a lot of us really don't have any needs. We're just living outside of our means because of our wants. Come on, somebody. But this is not a message about contentment. It's about you passing your treasure test. So, so we need to see something in the preceding text. We need to put Malachi 3.10 into context. Uh, you all know context is Spanish for with text. Never mind. That was <laughs> terrible. Man. Context. So what goes with the text? We need to figure out what goes with this Malachi 3.10. If we just read the passage by itself, we're not necessarily getting the entire thing that the authors wanted to uh, tell us. And so we need to look at verse 8 where it says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes 
and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. We'll come back to that idea. But God says, take the ski mask off, people. Y'all are robbing me. That word rob, it's actually a very graphic, intense word. It, it literally translates to pillage. Uh, the, the picture you should get in your mind is when armies came in to a town and they stole everything, people, uh, their belongings. I mean, they just uh, rampaged everything. And, and that's what God says you're doing to Him. You're like the Vikings coming in and destroying a town. So think about something. Has a robbery actually taken place if you have the same amount of money or stuff after the alleged robbery? Like you remember that that story about uh, Seth Rich, the the 27-year-old DNC staffer who was found beaten, shot twice in the back, and they, they said it was a robbery. Yet he had everything. Wallet, watch, cash, nothing was taken from him. So everybody's like, that's not a robbery. He wasn't robbed of any, except his life. He was not robbed of anything. That's kind of what God is saying here. He's, he's saying, you're robbing me, but we all know God can't be robbed. God's not worried about having less money. He says, I have, I own the, the cattle on a thousand hilltops. Not worried about money. He's, he's, pave, he's got the boys at Cornejo paving his streets in gold right now, right? I mean, he's got the orange cones all set up in the dump trucks. There. They're pouring out liquid gold on the street. God's not worried about money. He spoke the universe into existence. How can we rob God? So follow me. I'm, I promise I'm taking you somewhere. It's a such a big idea. Notice what the results of this heist are in verse 9. The nation is cursed with a curse because they're not giving their full tithe. In other words, here's where I'm going. God's not worried about him having less. He's sad that he doesn't get to bless you in this. He flat out says, test me in this. I'm going to pour out more blessing than you could possibly imagine. I'm going to open up the heavens and bless you until there is no more need. You're robbing me of my chance to bless you. You're not taking any money from me. I want to give you blessing. He says, because you won't tithe, you are cursed with a curse. That's why I, I can't get it. I don't understand when people say the church is only after my money. I'm not after your money. I want your blessing. I want you to see how faithful God is. How good God is. That's why I'm so passionate. I feel like I say every week, God's not trying to keep anything from you. He wants your blessing. You want to help me preach on this for a second? This is good stuff. God wants to give you the desires of your heart and the blessing. He just wants you to line up with how He designed the world to work. And people say, well, I guess I'll tithe, Pastor, but should I tithe on the net or the gross? Well, you want God to bless you on the net or the gross? I, I mean, what, that's what He's saying. You're robbing me of my chance to bless you. I want you to see God come through for you. He says, test me in this. Maybe it's my own wicked heart, but, but any time I'm given the opportunity to do something like that God says, and God says, test me in this, I'm like, I'm going to test you in this. I'm going to see how faithful you are. I'm going to take Him up on that chance to test Him. And listen to me, God's always come through. I have yet 
to have a chance where I can say, you know what, God failed me on this. It just doesn't happen. You get an opportunity to test God. And I think the funny thing about all of this is we feel like it's ours. And God says, no, it's all mine. Right? I mean, everything that we have is God's anyway. Anything that you have right now is a gift from God. It may seem incongruous to your thinking right now. You say, no, pastor, I've worked hard. I've worked very hard for what I have. Maybe but you worked very hard for what you have with the abilities and opportunities and circumstances and health and various things God provided you. I guess I can say it like this. If you were born on a mountaintop in Mongolia in the 11th century, I don't think you'd be doing as well as you are right now, no matter how hard you worked. You know what I'm saying? You're not driving off that mountaintop. You're not flying off that in the 11th century in Mongolia, right? I don't, I don't think you'd be, you say yes and amen to how hard you work, but God gave you the abilities, the circumstances, the opportunities that others haven't been afforded in order, as scripture says, to bless you so that you might be a blessing to other people around you. Everything you have is a gift. I heard it said, like this. When we give to God, we're not trying to decide how much of our wealth to give back. Rather, we're trying to decide how much of God's wealth to keep. It's all His. We just get to decide how we're going to steward it. And if you'll do your homework on this subject, you'll find that God almost exclusively uses the language to bring back or return when He talks about tithing saying, bring it back to me or return it to me. He almost never says, in fact, I haven't found a place where he says, give me my tithe. He says, bring it, return it. For example, if I lent you a pair of shoes, which might be a bad example because that would never happen. Uh, <laughs> if I lent you a pair of shoes and I, and I wanted the shoes, the shoes back, I would say, hey, give me a new pair of shoes. I'd say, bring back my shoes, return to me my shoes. This is really a perspective issue. Do you view what you have as God's and you're just getting the opportunity to steward it or is it all yours? Here's a spoiler alert. God says it's all His. (laughs) He's just giving you the chance to decide how you get to use it so that you can be a blessing to others and He in turn can bless you. Furthermore, not only does this passage say that you should give a full tenth, it's also saying some of us should be giving more than a tenth. It's called a tithe and contribution here in this passage. Other places it's called a tithe and an offering. Some of you are so legalistic in your giving, you're not receiving the benefits and blessings God would have given you if you were irrationally generous. Like above and beyond a tenth. God wants to bless you more, and you're robbing God of the chance to bless you. You're not letting Him. Now, not only does verse 8 tell us that we're full-on robbing God of His chance to bless us, but verse also 8 also verse 8 tells us that we're oblivious to it that we have no idea it's happening how are we robbing you god it's like we're blind to it money has this power over us and a great deal of the power that money has is it blinds us to the power that it's having over us this is what money does it's why so many people get upset when you talk about money in church Money is different than other things because you're blind to how much it's affecting you. 
implied in this text and explicitly in other parts of the Bible is materialism and greed is a sin of the eyes. It blinds you to the power that it has over you. Materialism and greed is is excess, concern for, worry about, love of, need for, money and possessions. Got to always get more. Have more. Get more. Over and over the Bible says this is unlike other kinds of sin. Unlike other kinds of wrongs and unlike other kinds of character flaws because this one you can't see in yourself. It's the power money and greed has in your life. In Luke 10 or Luke 12, Jesus says, "Watch out for all kinds of greed. Watch out for the different forms it takes." Is there another place where Jesus says, "Watch out for for all forms of adultery?" No. Why? Because adultery is okay? Of course not. That's why the Bible often talks more about money than sex. Not because money is really more important than sex, but because you're blind to it. You're not blind to adultery. You know when you're doing it. You're not like, hey, that's not my wife. What are you doing here? You, you know that. It's not my husband? Of course not, because you're, you, it's adultery. You know when you're doing it. But God says, watch out when it comes to greed. Watch out when it comes to possessions. Why does the Bible keep talking about it? Because you almost never know you're committing greed and materialism. It's the one sin that we can almost always justify as being okay. That's why Jesus says, be careful about it. Paul in 1 Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some have wandered away from the faith and have impaled themselves. I won't go into what he meant by impaled themselves, but it's very graphic as well. (coughs) You've impaled yourself with a lot of pain because they made money their goal. What's your goal? More money? More stuff? Early retirement? None of those things in and of themselves are wrong. The problem with money is people want to get to a point where they can say, hey, if I lose my job, I'd be okay. Hey, if I lose my career, I'd be fine. If this and this happens, I have control in an uncontrollable world. They think that money and all these things gives them control. It's a control issue, but the biggest savings account in the world. Look right at me. It doesn't stop cancer. You can have all the money in the world and it's not going to stop a traffic accident. You can have all the money in the world and it won't stop a broken heart if it, it cannot give you these things that God can give you. And only God can give you. He is the only security you have. He is the only significance you can have. He is the only love you can get that you cannot lose. Amen, somebody. Never takes that away from you. Am I saying don't save? Absolutely not. I'm saying most people save so that they can depend on themselves rather than depending on God. But I don't know where your heart is. You have to analyze that for yourself. But it wouldn't be called faith if you knew the outcome. The reason this is such a big deal to God is because it's effortless to spend money on that which is your real God. Money just flows into the treasury of your real temple. 
Anything that, that is easy to spend your money on, that's your real God. It's your real Savior. It's your real Lord. It's the real source of your hope, your meaning, your happiness, your significance, your security. No matter what you say you believe. You show me your checkbook and I'll show you what you actually believe. Again, money is God's chief competition to your heart. Thus, tithing is the antidote to that. Tithing is your treasure test. Now, let me make something very clear. We don't give back to God in order to get something from God. That can't be our motivation, Him blessing us, although He says He will. And He says, test me in this. The reason we give to God is because He's already given us more than we deserve. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus gave up His wealth for our sake. He became poor so that we might become rich. That's not talking about money. That's talking about salvation. Our natural response to the fact that Jesus takes away all of our sin, past, present, and future, should be one, our response should be one of, now take my life. Do whatever you want. I'll follow you with anything. You want 50%? Here's 50%. I just want to be close to you. You want me to do such and such? No problem, God. I understand that this is all from you anyway, so I might as well use it for your glory. In all honesty, I don't necessarily understand how or why this works, but God in His providence has chosen to give us His Holy Spirit, and in return, we've been entrusted to do His will through that power. That means there's our part, And there's God's part. I once heard a pastor talk about how uh, people are praying for all these specific things. And and God's like, I don't do those things. See, see, God makes trees. We make furniture. And, And people are praying for furniture. And God's like, I'm making trees. In other words, I've entrusted you to do your part. And in return, I can and will bless you. You've got to be willing to pay for what you pray for. Somebody tweet that out. That was good. Nobody said anything. <laughs> Proverbs 3.9 Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. Verse 10, what happens when that happens? When you honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I ain't much of a wine drinker, more rum and coke guy, but apparently more wine is always better than less wine. That's what God says right here. If I remember correctly, they ran out of wine and Jesus' first miracle was to make a whole bunch more wine. I don't know where you land theologically, but email sherry at New Anthem Church. (laughs) Bottom line. God wants to bless you in this. He wants you to pass your treasure test. He wants you to, He wants to give you good things. He's not trying to confuse you with difficult doctrine and, and what happens of this and should I do this and, and so why are you trying to negotiate the terms of your tithe? He tells you what you're supposed to be doing. Yet some of you right now are weighing the pros and cons in your mind right now. Some of you, I'm guessing, are probably trying to decide if you even want to come back to this church because the pastor tried to talk to you about money. 
here's what I want you to do today. Not give. Now, if you came prepared to give, I mean, you're more than welcome. But I don't want you to feel compelled to give. I don't want you to get all worked up and riled up and out of compulsion. Say, well, I've just got to write the check right now. That's not my goal. To emotionally stir you up so that you'll pull out your checkbook. No. Rather, I want you to pray over this initiative that we're getting ready to launch. You all should have had one of these tithe challenge cards in your chair when you walked in this morning. Let me explain to you. I'm just so committed to this idea of the tithe and the fact that that God is going to do what He promised He would do. I just am so trusting that God's going to fulfill His promise in your life that, that I decided that I would just take uh, your money and put it where my mouth is. I don't know if that's how that goes or not. Uh, but, but what I want you to do is pray over what you feel like you could irrationally give. And in January, we're going to, and for the rest of 2018, we're going to start this idea of a three-month tithe challenge, wherein if you'll simply commit to giving whatever you propose on this card, a rational generosity, if you're giving nothing, maybe you give 10%. If you're giving 10, maybe you give 20, uh, wherever you feel like you can find out if God's really going to do what He said He would do, like if this really is affecting your lifestyle, then I want you to fill out this uh, three-month tithe challenge card so that God will show His faithfulness to you. And if at the end of that three months, God doesn't keep His promise, which He said He would, then I'll give your tithe back, all of it for the whole three months. If you feel like, you know what, pastor, you said he promised blessing. I'm not feeling the blessing. I'm not seeing God come through for me in his faithfulness. We'll refund all of your tithe back. No questions asked. Have it, have it back. That makes sense? So leave here today and pray over this. How can I irrationally, just unquestionably give and be generous. And what does that look like for me in my life? And then in January, we'll roll this out. And for the rest of that year, and if at any point in your three months, you feel like, you know what, God didn't do what He said He would do, then we'll, we'll give it all back. But as I close, I want to give you a little bit of my story. Because at some point in my marriage, when Laura and I were literally not giving anything, I realized it would be a little bit hypocritical of me that I would enjoy a teaching that I didn't support that I would be led in worship by a team using equipment that I did nothing to offset the cost of. I figured it would be a little bit hypocritical of me to invite a friend to church so that they could hear a gospel and that I took for granted the fact that they would have a chair to sit in and, and hear about Jesus and I did nothing to help cover the costs to make any of that happen. Yes, the amount that I would have given if I would have been tithing would have been relatively insignificant compared to the staggering amount of money all of those things cost. But what I would later learn is that giving is less about money being needed and more about me needing to give it. It was a heart issue. See, the reason we give towards the mission of a church is not because we need to pay the bills around here, but rather because we're better together. Imagine the difference we could make if we were radically generous. Imagine the staff that we could hire to help 
disciple you. Imagine the churches that we could plant all across this globe. We're going to talk to you about an initiative where we're going to plant a church in Bolivia with with a group of people. I'm heading down there in January to help get the whole thing started. But imagine the, the children we could sponsor. Imagine the wells we could drill. Imagine the educations we could provide. Imagine the fact that we could end human trafficking. Imagine the diseases we could cure. Imagine the initiatives we could fund. God help us. I'm nervous about sending my kids to public school with some of these things that are happening in the world today. Lord, help us trusting some of these people with things like gender fluidity. Y'all think I don't know about texting DPs and body counts. You young people know what I'm talking about. You think because I'm a pastor, I'll know all about all that stuff and BJs and, and how do you know about that stuff? Because I know everything, okay? <laughs> That's how I know about all that stuff. And God help us that we're sending our kids and raising them in these environments where that's just the new normal. Sexting is what makes you dating anymore. Text me a naked picture of yourself. That is absurd. And it is wrong. And this is where we're at. But imagine we can can end some of these things by being irrationally generous. I, wasn't, I hadn't planned on talking about this, but I knew that my college kids were going to be here for the free meal. And, and I knew some of you all would be asking some of these questions. And I plan on preaching about sex next year. But I want, to know, I want you to know a couple things that, that even the secular world knows. All right? That they've done studies to prove this. That has nothing to do about Christianity or anything. They understood sex outside of marriage does not end well. 300% higher divorce rates of people who have sex outside of marriage. Anxiety, depression, and suicide when, uh, when they have sex outside of marriage. No, the numbers skyrocket. People say, well, what about, what about oral pastor? That's all fine. 75% divorce rate higher. Suicide rates up over 50% when you explore each other sexually before your marriage. That was all God's idea. He wants you to explore each other in the context of marriage. I promise I'll preach on that someday. But y'all are making decisions that are insane even outside the context of Christianity. The world knows this is absurd. And yet you want to justify this in your heart. Same thing is true about your money, though. I'll get back to that. You want to justify how you're spending it, and you want to, you want to, and the Bible says you're blinded to what it's doing to you. Imagine what we could do. Y'all talk about wanting a building. Imagine what we could do if you were all irrationally generous. We might be closer to that building than what you even think. But I digress. At the end of the day, this is a test. Sure, it's a significant uh, investment, but what better way to invest in anything than changing somebody's future? You have an opportunity right now to take this card and spend a few weeks exploring what God would have you do. Say, God, what do you want from me? How can I return to you the investment that you have entrusted me with? How much can I do? And in a way that only God can, He'll bless you because of your faithfulness. I genuinely believe that because I've seen it over and over in my own life. 
God has yet to fail me once I committed to doing this book. I just believe that God says He'll do what He said He would do when He promised to bless you in this book. I also believe that God promised that He would save your soul when you trusted in His Son, Jesus. And I just believe those two things work hand in hand. That when you trust Jesus, you're going to then decide to do whatever He tells you to do. Amen, somebody? Let's pray. God, we love You. We believe in Your Word. We believe in who You are. We believe in Your promises. We trust that You will do what You promised to do, which is bless us. God, if anybody here is blind to where they are robbing You, I just ask that You open their eyes in a way that only You can do. Speak to their heart. Allow them to put their trust in You, to test You in these areas. But more importantly than that, God, I'm just praying right now, if anybody is here and hasn't trusted You, that the biggest blessing they can have in this life is the fact that they'll live for You. If that's You this morning, I want a chance to pray for You. The Bible says, believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for your sins and you can be saved. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that, but I'd invite you to pray this prayer with me and say, God, I'm sorry. Sorry I've sinned. Sorry I haven't trusted you. But I believe that you came to this earth. You gave up everything in heaven to be in a relationship with me. Help me live for you. If you prayed that prayer, please come talk to me or check that box on your connection card saying that, that you committed your life to Christ. I just want to help you understand what your next steps are and As we continue to pray, I just ask that if you're struggling with this idea of finances and giving and all those things, please also come chat with me. We've got financial counselors. We've got investment planners. We've got people that can help you. But God, I'm just lifting up this time with you now saying do what only you can do. Help us leave this place being irrationally generous and prove to us, let us test you in this, that you will pour out this blessing. God, I'm praying for financial blessing. I'm praying for for peaceful blessing. I'm praying for healing blessing. I'm praying for blessings in marriages. I'm praying for blessings in in kids' lives. I'm praying that you save their kids. I'm, I'm just praying this blessing over each person right now because I trust that you will do what only you can do. And it's in the power of Jesus' name that we pray. Everybody said, Amen.